So I just came back to the monastery from a month or so away. I was teaching in America. So coming back into focus to being here. So some familiar faces and people, so people I don't quite recognize, can actually see through the tangle of my body. But, uh, it's great that you all managed to come here, make it here. I hope you derive benefit from this evening. So I'm not entirely certain what you know and what you don't know, uh, what you need to know. But seizing upon what seems most immediate, most uh, comes to mind, which uh, is something we all need to be reminded of. Um, Topic of karma, what what is karma and how its role in Buddha's teachings and role in our own freedom liberation or uh, loss of it, loss of freedom. So, you know, having come back here, then it gives a little hiatus where one looks around the scene again and notices a couple of signs that have been in the office for years and years and years written in time. I've never actually understood what they were. <laughs> they were stuck up on the wall in the Thai language for at least uh, 10 to 15 years. And finally, one of the visiting monks who was speaking Thai managed to translate them for me. And the w- one um, was simple saying, the world is dominated by karma, the world is mastered, the world is captured, uh, kind of covered, and uh, by karma. Karma is the thing that leads the world, leads the world on. Uh, and it's important to recognize this is a kind of neutral statement. In other words, it could lead it to good or it could lead it to bad. Uh, we have this idea of Buddhist anger on karma is karma has a degree of choice in it. It's not predestination. It means you, there's a sense in which through your own actions, this is what karma literally means. It means action or activity something of that nature. Through one's own actions, one can lead on to what's good, happy, bright, clear, or through one's actions, one can lead on to what's confusing, painful, and um, uh, unfortunate. So the world spins our own, the world doesn't mean the planet, especially it means our own world, the world in which we live, our world which we find ourselves in, perhaps when we sit in silence, we realize what we're living in. You know, this texture of bodily, bodily sensations, but probably for most of us, it's going to be memories, thoughts, um, you know, flushes of, of energy, uh, particular problems we've got, um, all this stuff which makes makes up our world, and we feel very much we are in that and we're in that. And this, in the meditation, as we were contemplating that which arises, the welling up, and this is karma in a nutshell, this welling up of experiences. This is your one's world is arising. And it's said to um, the principles of karma, the, the arising of things, this active principle. So it's both, um, as we engage with that, we act upon that, we think about it, we plan with that, or we speak, or we act. 
and depending on how we thought and spoke and act, that lays or acted, that lays down the patterns that we then inherit and remember and brood over. Uh, so it's a it's a feedback loop as we as we think and do that provides a basis for how our minds operate, how our emotions are stirred, the topics that concern us, and the way that we handle them. And this then becomes the basis upon which we then see or create our world, see our world and then act and respond and react and adjust and fix and whatever we do with it. So it's this feedback loop. And in meditation we're trying to get to the place where the the loop is feeding back and instead of feeding back more um, negative influences or uh, confused or reactive influences, feeding back something that might be lead towards um, calm, peacefulness, getting a handle on karma, and this is done through through action itself, that is through through applying one's awareness, one's attention, through sitting, through refraining from certain things, so there's definitely choices being made, um, and through that we may be able to find the spaces and moments when things loosen up, things free up, we feel a kind of sense of relief, um, and this is this is a process of meditation, and one, as one develops it, we can even begin to use that um, our active minds or active awareness, just focusing, focusing on the quality of what feels clear or peaceful. What is that? What is that? That sense, that awareness that opens up when some of the um, energies and the habits begin to cool out or what do they release themselves into. So this is the process of meditation, recognizing the welling up of karma, applying ourselves, so making fresh karma by applying ourselves to that, and through a kind of skill in refraining from particular uh, reactions or negative influences, um, finding a place where that, that karmic current discharges itself. We don't exactly stop it, we just let it discharge, rather like an electric, like a battery that just <coughs> runs, runs its charge into the earth, and as it runs, as it runs out, we feel these moments of oh, relief, and hey, I'm still here, there's, you know, there's awareness here, but I don't feel like I'm, I am the doing, I'm not a buzzing thought, I'm not a pounding feeling, I'm not a set of, of nerve endings jangling, um, there's a sense of something more spacious and open. Um, this is the process of meditation. And meditation is a particular kind of refined karma that deals with the karma that we we normally work in. So then it can lead, it can turn our world into a different place. And it can even uh, deconstruct the habitual quality or the density of our personal world into something that seems more open, potent, with different opportunities, pliable, sense of interest and compassion arises, uh, and feels a space. Karma is um, the process of karma, if you like, the, the ingredient of it is primarily, is, is called sankhara, which means uh, con- uh, like a formulating energy. 
particular organizing or formulating energies that we experience and it's most obviously one notices it in the in the mind it's that which grabs a thought that which brings up a thought that crystallizes around a thought figures something out it's that you know something there that um, picks up a moment and, un- and understands it um, there's maybe in a moment when things are quiet and then something comes up and grabs something and formulates it. Oh, it's this. It figures things out. So this is called the, the um, thinking um, sankara or vati sankara to do with conceiving. And there's also a level of it which is more to do with heart feeling, um, feeling moved. We recognize something, we suddenly feel ourselves moved by, affected by. Yeah. Uh, this particularly happens around as we begin to understand or get a perception, get a, a reading of something. You know, you see someone, maybe it's the, when you see someone perhaps in the distance, you can't quite see who it is, it's just a human being. Something you feel is a little bit of interest because it's a human being moving along. And then perhaps that moment when you recognize who it is, and there's this kind of little twitch in the heart, you get an emotional, oh, so, maybe good, bad, but there's a little wobble there, a resonance occurs. So there's an energy, a particular organizing energy that says, oh, this is good, or this is bad, or I have to do something, or this is interesting, or I've got to get close, or get far away, or, or something like that. You kind of chime, you ring. This is called the citta sankara, or the heart energy, the heart, where the heart gets formulated. Um, and so when we're, we're meeting people and living with each other, this particular thing is happening all the time. One feels amused, delighted, anxious, concerned, uh, and so on. These things are coming up. And we are intensely social creatures, so we mean a, people mean a lot to people. One of the most you know, continual occupations of the human race is looking at other humans and wondering what they're doing. <laughs> and you know, you can and figure it, you know, whether they like me or not, or should I do the same as them, or what's she wearing, or is that the right thing? You know, this is happening all the time. So the sitter is continually trying to get the gist of what's going on and feel okay with it. Am I okay here? Then you have something. Another level is called the. Kaya Sankara, which is to do with the body. And this is a particular drive and energy that you, we may feel in our, our bodily sense, how we tense up, for example. How we feel um, suddenly shocked, in a bodily sense that is. Yeah. Or we feel um, uneasy, or we feel our body slightly withdrawn, we feel, we feel made small or intimidated, we feel ourselves shrinking. Oh, we feel happy and proud and we feel ourselves enlarging our bodies, even though the body physically doesn't change much. We get the body sense shifts. And it's as if that's the same sort of signaling that a rabbit has, or a mouse has, or a deer has when you see them. And their ears prick up and their eyes stop and their whiskers start going. Yeah. The whole body has this intelligence and it organizes, it starts to figure out, is this okay here? Um, is there food here? Is there threat here? And our bodies do much the same. We're not always aware of that, but we do the same kind of thing. We feel ourselves a certain pressure from um, other people. 
Just instead of, sort of going rigid and being told what to do or ordered around, always tell ourselves that feeling soft and relaxed when people are welcoming, when we tell ourselves excited, and even these bodily energies. So when all these three get together, all these different Sankara levels get together, then you're in big business. You really start churning out the karma, starts going. But uh, it's also the case that as you, when you meditate, you're able to refer to these three aspects and twiddle with them. You say, well, let's just see what happens if I can just steady and relax the body and just stay with that. And finding that if that can be done, then a lot of the power of the um, mental and emotional stuff is lessened. We're not so caught up in it. Maybe it's still going on, but we're not so caught in it. It's very difficult to real, feel really angry with a relaxed body. Or feel really sad and depressed with, a, with an upright, bright body. Whereas, and whereas normally when we feel uh, powerful emotions or thoughts, we tend to think about them and try to fix them from our head down, if you like sort myself out, so I think of what I, you know, what I should do and why I should be like this and why do people treat me that way. Um, and whatever comes out of that may have some uses to it, but it doesn't actually pull the plug on the karmic current. So we can find ourselves very much spinning with reactivity and with fretting and preparing ourselves for what we should do and what we think is coming up and how we're going to manage this situation. So we've got the, all the karmic energy goes up into the head, we get very thoughtful, broody, or maybe into the heart where we get emotionally quite um, tense and, and dense. Yeah. So particularly when in, in a social world where people that, which other people, which means a lot to us. We're getting a lot of our signalling of how good we are and how okay we are and whether things are all right and so on from other people. Just being with other people, you can feel very busy. The heart starts to get very busy and the, the mind starts to get very busy. Because um, you're just kind of living together. It becomes a whole profession, just living. You're not doing anything about it, just being alive figuring out how to operate and what to do and why was he like this and why, how is he going to be like you know, tomorrow and am I, am I this or am I that am I too much this or am I too much that perhaps I should be this way or that way or no, just let go of it all so it just goes on and on um, so it's very helpful to be able to go to the sense of my body feels really rigid right now it's time to just loosen up a bit stop trying to fix things and just get, you know, get to the undercurrent of the karma itself and begin to just soften and massage that and then work out the details as we go along. But if we can't get a handle on the karmic flow, then we just through we tend to intensify it even when that's the best intentions to, to cool it down. Um, um, and without that understanding of the bodily connection to the whole karmic thing, this bodily sense of the karmic thing, life gets very dense and especially so when you're trying to do good and awaken and, and clear up karma because then one takes one's thoughts and feelings quite strong, quite um, seriously. How do I affect you? And 
am I doing the right thing? And you know, are we friends? And you know, am I too much this or too much that? So one can get very, very, you know, sort of obsessive in a way, um, from good intention. Um, so you think, oh, oh God, oh, you get out of here. There's some space. There aren't these things going on. So with the best of intentions, we can find ourselves intensifying our karma because we, we add more and more thinking and feelings, emotions, to what's already there <laughs> in the attempt to make it pleasant or relaxed or easeful. And so in meditation, mindfulness of the body, we find a way to just, just put that on the shelf for a while, not to dismiss it, but kind of... Where does this, what's feeding, what's the energy that feeds this, where the energy that feeds this? Can I relax that? Can I just brighten this up? Can I actually just, you know, find, steady myself within this? And very often that provides the, sh- the energetic shift. It helps the other things settle or shift around. And we go, oh, we think, we find a way ourselves thinking from a different perspective. Now, there's not that many people really know or are that skilled in this, um, even in the, sort of, you know, with the intentions to be good and grow and develop and understand. What can occur is instead of releasing the karma, just finding a, a place where this stuff can discharge, we add and we keep adding more and more layers to it. And so we can end up kind of varnishing over some of the unresolved stuff with, well, I'll try to be nice. Yes, that's what I'll try to be more peaceful, that's what I'll do. So we think that and we put a layer of peacefulness on top of our fear and anxiety and resentment. Maybe I should be more, not just nice, but also nice, but imaginative. So I'll get some (laughs) imaginative varnish and paint that on top of it. So you get more and more shells of these, these things. One can become socially quite skilled, looking, relaxed, being cheerful, having a bright uh, attitude, thinking positive, being affirmative, politically correct, at ease, relaxed. And this you know, incredible layer of, of, of lacquer. And underneath one's still as kind of anxious and neurotic as ever. <laughs> and it gets, it's quite a, quite a thing to hold together. So the idea of, of mindfulness of the body is to find a place where we can just you know, deflate and then breathe out and then breathe in again. So one can perhaps be with the anxiety and be with the fearfulness, be with the sadness or whatever it is, uh, or the passions as they are, without putting more and more layers on them. Even nice layers, even profound layers, even Buddhist layers on top of them. but, but using the direct practice to, to know it's, it's like this and the energy is like this and here's a space or here's something which can just hold this, this karmic energy in a steady way and let it do its work itself out. The beauty of this, this, this understanding of how to hold karma and if you like the karma or the activities that go around generating that holding, which is the meditative action, are that we begin to recognize that, actually, I don't have to fix any of this. 
fact, I can't fix any of this because that very I am sense that tries to do the fixing is itself the end result of all these karmic forces. So it's like you know, a little bit of is, is a, a thought, an emotional habit. Um, that, that um, tends to add more and more layers to the outside rather than deconstruct. So when we deconstruct from our karmic compulsions, we also deconstruct from our habitual self-image. And this, of course, is, is really the nub and, and the crux of the process uh, that we're able to come out of the idea of what we should be or what we think we are, and become fresh and alive, and perhaps a little mysterious. And in that, there's a certain potency, creativity, freedom. You know, we become what uh, what what um, our balance and our practice makes us. We haven't got an idea of what we should be. We just we become that which is a result of our of our practice. And and Meditation practice generates that kind of um, collectedness um, that can hold many of the ambiguities of our personality, our personal world, our fearfulness and our happiness, our anger, our love, our sense of confidence, and these racking doubts that occur, and all of this, and something that gets bigger than all of this material. This is the process. So within this within the world of our karma, by handling the world of our karma, we come out of the world of our karma. Not through denying it or suppressing it or Hacking it up, but through directly, fully handling it. The process of of karma arising is also is described in. in Another way, in, rather than those particular um, sankhara structures, just what's what a, a karma formation, what, a, what this sankhara formation is, how, it, how each of them experience, and they're primarily made up or, or constituted to a certain quality of interest, chanda, interest, and that gives rise to, a, if you like, a volitional push. I'm interested in this, therefore. I move, I move towards this. I take interest in this, this moves me. So that, that's the first bit of it. I'm interested in this person. So my attention moves that way. Therefore what they say will affect me more deeply. I'm interested in this particular project or this particular phenomenon. I'm stirred by that. My attention shifts that way. Um, therefore I'm, all, I'm starting to, something in me is starting to formulate you know, what are the things that are really going to affect me? You know, I'm starting to choose my, my birth. So it's said to be interest is the root or the source of this. 
and the gestation process, which is very immediate in the mind, is called attention. That is, there's interest, and then what what brings things into birth, what gestates things, is attention. That is, one's interest, one's attention holds on something and lingers and formulates that and feels it out. Whereas if the attention didn't stay there, then it would just be a moment there and then a moment gone somewhere else. But because one's attention is held or holds, forms up an object, ponders over it, takes it in, then one is, if you like, really um, landing in the creative womb of karma. So if interest is the is the moment of conception, then attention is the moment of implantation, where the conceived little egg lands in the in the womb. And as we all know, there are many. Even when we're not especially have a particular interest in our mind. There's plenty of attention grabbing stuff around when you're moving around. Stuff gets you interested. Stuff pulls you. See, I, as in my um, traveling this past month or so, and noticing just how much stuff is out there pulling. I know now all the different brands of perfume that are on sale, <laughs> price of whiskey, the best cars. You know, none of it actually I'm personally interested in, but every one of those got, has come you know, thrust into my consciousness. You know, in the most kind of uh, unapologetic and uh, intrusive way, many of the time. So you get this kind of stuff being jammed in there. And, um, and then the next thing that occurs is this thing called contact, which means as as your attention is momentarily lingers on something, is caught by something, is a contact, which means the particular feeling gets aroused, you know, pleasure, displeasure. You know, so that, of course, most all the advertisements are giving you the pleasure hit. How wonderful it would be if you just had one of these. How smart you'd look if you had one of these. What kind of person would be attracted to you if you wore one of these? How the sun would come out if you smoked one of these. <laughs> Guaranteed. How you look 20 years younger if you wore this. So this magic stuff can, can occur. See, it's pleasant feeling. A, a feeling and a perception that is something that provides a particular meaning. Uh, generally what you will be. And you will be brighter, wiser, more popular, um, and so on. So that's the big hit of advertisement that gets us going. The contact impression is then the real substance of nourishment. The tension just holds us there long enough and then we get the injection of pleasant feeling and some uplifting perception. Or we might get something very unpleasant, of course, if your attention is held by something repugnant or uh, violent or fearful and you get a shot of, of of adrenaline. You know. So this is the contact experience. So these three, um, interest, which gives rise to the um, volitional quality, uh, called chetana, 
and attention and contact are three aspects that make up our karma formation in any of these senses. So when one begins to acknowledge this, we spend perhaps some time in a day in a meditation or repeatedly at least acknowledging well, what actually what, what am I interested in? What really do I want to be with? Even if we're going to get that vaguely. Like, so where am I going to direct my attention today? And maybe what things am I going to deliberately screen myself from? Or not give attention to? Because I'm recognizing that wherever attention lands, there's a karma formation when it's stirred. And maybe we feel, I like to get more perspective on that, be a bit more choosy about what I attend to. And then also the, the quality of contact. Contact, of course, is there. It's a place where we might receive nourishment, something happy, enjoyable. welcoming, we might receive something poisonous as well. So contact is something that we have to, in a way, experience and feel out, knowing what we're looking for, knowing what we're attending to, knowing is this providing me with what's really nourishing, helpful, calming, using nourishing in a very broad way. Maybe I just need some space. Maybe I just need some quiet. Or maybe I need some warmth or some kindness or something that inspires. So, you know, what kind of contact is needed, is helpful. So this is our, like, one of our basic forms of steering the process of, our, of karma. You might say this is the, the groundwork where which begins to shape our lives a little bit. We, we might build in some sense of um, you know what friendships I'm going to cultivate, what particular places do I go to, what kind of things do I put my mind onto, with what aim in mind, what things really work for me. This may change over time, of course. But the aim always is to is to recognise that we have a choice here. We also have a certain limitation on that choice. <coughs> and um, I expect particularly in uh, lay life, then the limitations of choice are evident. In some ways, it seems that we have a lot of choice, many places to go, to travel, and so forth. But recognizing that, that wherever you go, you tend to find the same kind of um, context occurring. There will still be the enticements for this, 
and uh, um, you know something to, to pull one in in this way, you know, something to get you excited or get you reaching for your wallet here um, and there. So so even though one can choose the seemingly choose the places, you can't get away from being got at by stuff. It's the hunter's world, and um, you know, you realize that uh, for people living today in these highly socialized realms, um, one is a target as, as much as a, as a chooser. One is targeted by things. Sense impingement. You know, um, something comes to the eyes, the ear, the nose, the tongue, which is always getting us going one way or another. Uh, activities that we feel we are by necessity compelled to engage in to make a living means if you're making a living you've got to be in the marketplace which is the hunter's place which is where you get more and more pressure and got to do this and got to do that and so on so that the whole sense of even though one may seem to have many choices actually there's a a way in which one is thrust into into an arena where more and more calm is being generated without having much say over it. Mm. So one has a certain amount of choice and also a certain amount of limitation on that choice. When we understand this, we recognize that um, there also has to be another way of looking or handling these karma formations, which is that even in the area of being impacted or impinged upon, how to maintain qualities of interest or choice, volition, the qualities of attention, and the qualities of contact within that, that keep us, give us some space, give us some freedom. This is something that this possibly develops in meditation as we begin to recognize that even in the presence of things, and this is very important thing to to get in touch with in in meditation, even in the presence of thoughts and feelings, if you handle it in the right way, there's a kind of a spaciousness, which first of all may seem to be just a break in the torrent, you know, when when things stop or slow down, or the moments between thoughts, or the moment when when an emotional wave breaks, and we go, oh, it's like that, and then the next one comes, you have these troughs in between the waves. And the more that one is just dispassionate about really just contemplating that whole process rather than even trying to fix it, the quality of dispassion and steadiness means that that it doesn't propel or or put more pressure on the karmic current that's there. So even in that presence of this karmic current, one is not creating more karma by reacting to it, trying to fix it, worrying about it. You just feel it's like that. So you get a sense of objectivity. It's like that. It's happening. It's like that. It feels like this. And if we develop skill, we might recognize even it feels like this in my body. You know, my body feels quite tight now. Or I've lost my body altogether. Where is it? You come back into it. So we use that bodily base to act as a way, to form a basis whereby this particular ground of presence gets generated. And this is the place of mindfulness, full awareness, investigation, spiritual inquiry, and and what I call the enlightenment factors all come from this particular 
ground of, of presence, which is a simple way of summarizing it all, the presence of awakening. So even though we may find ourselves unable to check the noisy impingement or the, the, the visual things, we can contemplate, well, how is this affecting me? How am I in this? Where's my body in this? And to, with that we begin to recognize these particular impressions have the nature to flow, they arise and pass, and the being affected itself also flows. I feel the hit of, of an impression and it takes me for a, a microsecond or a second and then it begins to subside and another one comes in and then it subsides and another one comes in. It's rather like you know, touching something that's spongy and soft. You, know, you touch something and for a moment it retains that impression and then when the pressure goes off, the impression pops out again. You, know, you touch something and push it in, you take your finger off and the, the thing, that impression disappears. So, in what we do in, in the general overall practice of meditation, by developing this sense of, of peaceful or dispassionate presence with what's happening, our mind becomes rather like that spongy thing that we receive an impression, but then the mind just pops back again. Whereas if our mind is tight and hard and rigid in some way, or forced in some way, then the impression gets retained much longer. You know, one tightens around it, oh, stop that, I shouldn't feel this, or make it another way. So the tightening actually holds that impression much longer than if the mind is left loose and spacious. So we can, even though we can't necessarily modulate what contact is given to us, we can modulate the way we are contacted. It's rather like in judo, when someone charges at you, if you, if you know how to be loose and flexible, you don't resist the charge, nor do you get knocked over. You can flow with it, you can roll with it, and the charge rolls over. And so this is rather like that. It's a kind of judo of the mind. <laughs> and if and the mind gains a certain strength by that when we can have confidence. Oh, you know, I don't have to get blown away, I don't have to resist this. There's something here. There's this quality of presence, this enlightenment factors or whatever one like to call them, that is able to you know, stay, because these impressions don't actually rest in that particular uh, ground of presence. Um, they they only react. They only affect the karmic my karmic tendencies, and this other stuff is something that's of another nature. And though, though it can receive contact impressions, it doesn't retain them. It repels them. And if we attend to that, give that attention then that develops. And so that one, it's rather, then one is almost like, um, has a certain quality of things can roll off, like water off a duck's back. You know, rain comes down, it doesn't really saturate. Um, uh, and the Buddha said, this is rather liken this to a well-thatched roof. So when you well-thatched roof, even though it rains like a lot on the, on the roof, it doesn't penetrate the roof. And someone who's cultivated their mind similarly Things may rain on them, but it doesn't penetrate. So even in, in a situation where there is a lot of contact, it doesn't have to dig itself in if our mind is cultivated, if our awareness is cultivated. Just trying to stay confident 
and open and, and recognize that all of it gets lost. There's one particular quality that you can begin to focus on that where this quality of presence gets lost. There's, if you like, a sense of freedom in us that is seemingly innate to human beings. Often not used, not referred to, but it's there. And we lose that. We lose contact with that. We lose reference to that. And the way that that is signaled is a certain contraction. A certain tightening. There may be a tightening of some which you might recognize as ill will, fear, violence, anger. You get tight. You, know, you can feel yourself tighten up. Something hardens in your belly. You know. Or it may be one of these, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, feelings that come up, urgency, worry and restlessness, as we call this. We suddenly, your shoulders move up towards your ears and you feel your, your knuckles come up, tighten up. Or it may be craving. I've got to have that. I've really got to have that. So you, you sense this thing, you contract. And so that the attention, our attention span then narrows, holds on to that rather like a zoom lens, focuses right on that thing and hardens up around that. And then we're in, we're engaged. And once that happens, it's very difficult to negotiate with that particular object except through flexing, and releasing your attention. So notice how something that annoys you some little thing that annoys you in a person, you notice all the time. <laughs> Once you've got it there, I really don't like the way he eats his toast or he sniffs or he sneezes or whatever, then every time you see that person, your attention is ready to you know, focus on that particular attribute. And that, in fact, becomes the person. You know, here is again Mr. Messy Toast or Mr. Sneezer. Or, you know. So... Your attention, and you can feel yourself going slightly rigid with that, and preparing to deal with that particular <coughs> person that your attention has formulated. And because attention, this, this karma formation is so perfected, this is, this is creates our world. It's totally believable, and it, it is true, and certainly there are elements of truth in it. But attention formulates that from our previous bias, interest, and the contact impression. So how do these three go together? And it's very difficult to come out of that without... You can never change the person, for example. You know, when you find someone's getting on your nerves, and you think you can change them, you're in for big trouble. Because everything you do to change them, however nicely you put it, however many layers of varnish you put on top of it, will always come from this... Another way. Another way. Another way. And something in them can sense that and feel that, and they can feel being got at. So they tighten up, not going to be another way, not going to be another way. (laughs) So, uh, don't ever try to change anybody. And don't ever try to change yourself which is where it goes even weirder, when you <laughs> focus on your own you know, shortcomings. You focus on the shortcomings, the things you really need to get to work with and improve about yourself. Take this seriously now. Look at all those nasty thoughts you've had. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? Didn't you do something about this? Get, get, you know, be responsible. Right, yes, yes, yes. So... 
your attention then with that particular program in mind and focuses on these things. That's who you are. You are, you are the walking horror. You are the blight on humanity. You are the creature from the black lagoon, the black hole in the universe. And you've got to do something about it. So this attention is um, and a contracting. So whenever anything seems really fixed and real and solid, anything outside seems fixed and real and solid, feel how you are right now with that. Feel how your body is with that. Don't say whether it is or isn't fixed and real and solid, just feel how you are with that. Does that feel good? Do you feel okay? Do you feel there's room? Do you feel flexible? Do you feel free? Or do you feel, oh, it's like that, I've got to be like this. She's like that, I've got to do this. They're like that, I've got to be this way. You know. There you are, contraction. You know. And unfortunately, the process of contraction is something that we begin to get learned in as this is called knowledge. <laughs> yeah. This is called getting things clear. Clarity and knowledge, this is what this is called. I call it low-grade panic. <laughs> Strategized anxiety. Uh, manageable tension. And maybe when one has begun to get on that learned process of contraction means you're getting a grip on things. Contraction means you're, you're more confirmed, you're more solid, you're more real. You know, it's good for you. And so on. Um, yeah. This is the, the delusion or the wrong understanding of reality. Reality is not clear. It's not definite. It's changing. It's amorphous. It's fluid. It's potent. It's magical. From moment to moment, we don't really know who we are. Things are flowing, things are changing. But from moment to moment, the urge arises to make sure that we do know who we are and that we get it right so that we won't be accused, left out, treated badly. And if we do get it right, we might win and succeed and get the warmth and love and affection and rewards and praise that we want. We might get nourishment here. So that's what keeps us going. So we tend to overlook the fact that we're getting tight and contracted. Or if we don't overlook it, we think, oh, that's normal. You know, everybody else is like it. Of course they are. Everybody's doing the same thing. You know, just which form of contraction would you like? Greed, hatred, or delusion? <laughs> You've got to pick. So it's perhaps in meditation when we have that possibility just to acknowledge that, that sense of trying to hold this all together figure it out, be somebody, and how that feels. Is it possible to, in a careful, attentive, caring way, to release that? Not try to release it, just find out, well, can I just let my belly move in and out? Can I just be somebody who breathes, rather than Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so? this, that and the other. Can I just be a breather? Can I just be a, an abdomen that, that flows in and flows out peacefully without tension and withdrawal? Having that opportunity for half an hour. 
is feeling what it's like, what it does to one's world. Using something like that as a way of massaging one's attention, so it comes out of that having to hold and contracting to something that can be quite expansive, could get very refined. Get, but it's it's like a lens now you can twist it you can change it and you can take it to the focal length that width or that you feel comfortable and in tune with and then your contact impressions then begin to change things don't penetrate About a week ago, today, I was in New York City, and this is one hell of a town. Um, people are moving. Karma formations are big business. They're on the roll. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think it's anything unusual, but uh, something you see it from an outsider's point of view, you, you, you kind of you feel the intensity of the charge, you know, thousands of people moving, you know, charged, moving, everything geared to go, um, split-second reflexes. We're in a car driving along, and the fellow who's driving the car, just for a moment, took his foot off the throttle to just check out where he's going. Within half a second, somebody's tooting on a horn behind him, you know. He didn't even stop, he just dared to slow down. (laughs) This is an offence in New York, slowing down. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's uh, that's, you've got to be one step ahead all the time, and just feeling some of that energy, you're sitting there, you're just contemplating the energy of that. It wasn't looking at anything in particular, just feeling the whole sense of that charging energy, with you know, not all bad by any means. To see the human potential to to create and to do things. You think, well, there's a lot here. Um, and um, I was teaching, so I was teaching meditation. It was quite interesting going into through the city, through all this stuff, honking horns and things going on, and coming to a place to meditate and sitting down and meditating and talking to people. And one of the features of this particular um, retreat was that we weren't in anybody's house, so we had to go out to a restaurant for the meal, midday meal. So after the sitting in the morning, you're feeling pretty open and spacious, you come out into the street and go around into a little restaurant, which is people, it's not not a very big one actually, probably not as big as this room even, entire room, so it's quite a small restaurant, you know, about two-thirds the size of this room. And there's people bustling around, there's loudspeakers of blaring jazz coming through the loudspeakers and things going on, people chattering away. And just sort of sitting there in all of this, feeling really peaceful. Just, uh, you know, not focusing particularly on the sound, I can hear the sound, and people bobbing around, waitresses coming, putting the food down. Just somehow feeling the... um, quality of peacefulness that comes from allowing contact to be that way uh, with no particular attitude just noticing contact um, just letting the attention be relaxed not trying to shield or not trying to grab not taking interest in anything in particular but just 
letting attention be relaxed and loose and easy. And feeling, you know, how the mind or the attention would get pulled this way, that way, this way, that way. And just contemplating that pull and relaxing with that. And when it did, as the attention relaxed, there's a sense of great quality of love and warmth for all these people in this restaurant coming up quite naturally. And seemingly a natural blessing from a relaxed mind. So actually really enjoying the presence of people sitting there, having their meals, getting fed, going out, you know, the waitress is doing their work effectively, and so on. This is, this is really very nice. In its own way. So, in some way, you, you know, being able to be in the meditative process so that one understands contact, one understands attention, one understands, one begins to recognize the quality of volitional urge or drive or movement towards things or away from things. And by focusing on those energetics themselves and knowing how to handle them, the external world becomes something one feels a sense of love and compassion for rather than something one has to fight off or approve of or disapprove of or fix in any way. So I was finding that really very rewarding, actually, being able to go through that and come back to the meditation hall and sit with no particular impression left in the mind. So in terms of your day and the life, just having that, using the meditation to, to remember, reflect on what one's aim is, how these karma formations are present both internally, which one may have some choice over, and also externally, which one doesn't have a lot of choice over, and learning how to handle and understand them in the very quality of those common formations, there is the possibility for them to operate in a way that leads towards release. There's nothing else that can lead to, to the end of karma but karma itself. There's nothing else that can operate except attention, choice and contact. Anyone? <coughs> Om Namayam Tamma Pura Dada Tha Sadhu Kara